11.55. Almost midnight. Enough time for one more story. One more story before 12 just to keep us warm. In five minutes, it'll be the 21st of April. 100 years ago on the 21st of April, out in the waters around Spivey Point, a small clipper ship drew toward land. Suddenly, out of the night, the fog rolled in. For a moment, they could see nothing. Not a foot in front of them. Then they saw a light. By God, it was a fire burning on the shore, strong enough to penetrate the swirling mist. They steered a course toward the light, but it was a campfire like this one. The ship crashed against the rocks, the hull sheared in two, mass snapped like a twig. The wreckage sank with all the men aboard. At the bottom of the sea lay the Elizabeth Dane with her crew their lungs filled with salt water, their eyes open staring to the darkness, and above, as suddenly as it come, the fog lifted, receded back into the ocean, and never came again. But it is told by the fishermen and their fathers and grandfathers that when the fog returns to Antonio Bay, the men at the bottom of the sea, out in the water of Spivey Point, will rise up and search for the campfire that led them to their dark Icy podcast. Okay. <laughs> Good. Good. Thank you. Good. I, you know, honestly, uh, Good. forgot that that was so long. You know, like it feels like a very nice short little opening in the movie. Oh my god! But uh, it, it's it's significant. <clears throat> it's significant. Sea captain. Ooh, it's significant. That was more engaging than the actual opening. Hey! Wow! Hey. <laughs> Wait! Oh man! Oh, someone's got their knives out. Okay, all right, all right. Uh oh, here we go. Should I just tell you how I feel off the jump? I yeah, guess just, so. I guess just so. Just tell us. Was not a fan. Not a fan <laughs> of the surprised. fog. <laughs> and then I realized I had no idea what the movie was about. Not a fog fan. I thought I always knew. I was like, oh yeah, something, something, the fog, etc. Um, no, I, didn't, I, I wasn't. I wasn't prepared for Pirates of the Caribbean um, <laughs> in a small town. <laughs> Like, it was, like, basically the plot of Pirates of the Caribbean. Like, is that what the ride's based on? Is the fog? And then they made it into a movie with Johnny Depp. Like, you know what I mean? Like That is an interesting plot. I had never oh, seen this before. And it does feel like uh, Pirates of the Caribbean may be cribbed from this more than I knew. Yeah. Like, they want their gold. Right. They come on the fog. And then when they get their gold, the curse is done. And even just the degree. I know these are, like, like leper zombie pirates. Yes. But the famous story about uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, not famous, what the fuck am I talking about? <laughs> the story about the making of Pirates of the Caribbean is that, uh, David, you've never been on that ride, but it's mostly no. just pirates having a jolly good time. Right. But at the right. beginning of the ride, there's like this tone setting section that's amazing. That's like the thing that everyone remembers where you're just kind of like quietly like going down a river before the pirates come to life. It's like you're going back in time and there's this one image you go past that's a skeleton at like the mast of a ship. And it's the kind of thing if you see it as a kid, it like sticks in your memory and then uh, who is it? Ted Elliott and Terry Rosso when they were writing Pirates of the Caribbean were like oh, do skeleton pirates. That's like the thing everyone remembers from the ride anyway. Mm, but the ride right. doesn't have that other than this one section. And it's not like it's like skeletons come to life. So it does feel like they maybe looked at the fog and they were like, oh, it's like that. It's like a cursed ship that comes back and the people want revenge. And then they turn into skeletons. Yeah. Right? A hundred percent. I th I literally was like, oh, like this is the Pirates of the Caribbean, but they're in Maine or 
Seattle? They're in, they're on the west they're, coast. They're in California. Yeah, they're in north northern California. Antonio. Oh, okay. No, uh, Ant- Antonio Bay. Antonio Bay. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Great. Yes. Antonio. See, I clearly wasn't paying attention enough. <laughs> Is that a real place? No, it's not a real place. But the ship, the the whole deal with the ship is based on a real thing that happened. It is. Like killing the people on the boat? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to find the name of the boat, but that's something that really the happened. The Frolic, Ben. There you go. Where someone uh, basically faked out this boat with a, with a fire and they crashed and then they took all the, the gold. I believe it had, it wasn't gold on the Frolic. It was porcelain and opium. Worth it. <laughs> porcelain? Yeah, porcelain. It was coming it was like coming from China. Like it no, had like precious China. Was porcelain very I think it was, yes, at the time. In the 19th century or whatever. Speaking of China, I literally put on Big Trouble in Little China afterwards after I watched the fog cuz I was like I'm so lost in this filmography right now cuz Halloween happened before mm-hmm. and then only a couple of years later was was The Thing, which is like probably a perfect movie. Yes. And I was like, what's hap- What's going on? And then I had to start watching Big Trouble in Little China. Because I was like, I haven't seen that one either. Maybe I need to know more about, <laughs> about John. <laughs> did, did you enjoy that? Oh, um, I, I didn't finish it. But yeah, what I watched, I did. <laughs> okay. I, I had, uh, I was talking oh, to... Oh, because I had to come do, do this. Yeah. Hey, great excuse. Great excuse. No judgment. Um, and we appreciate that you're doing this. Because uh, you are uh, beyond busy right now. Which I should say, this is a podcast called Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. Mm-hmm. I'm David. Uh, and this is a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their career and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion products they want. And sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they bounce, baby. And this is a mini series, uh, as I think you've uh, been able to discern from uh, this uh, pre talk about the films of John Carpenter. It is called, I, th- I think it's called. Oh. Podscape from Newcast. Yeah, we mm. forgot about that. We forgot to resolve that. No, it's they podcast. You think okay. it's they, Ben, you're. That's what I think. You're playing down the Trump card and saying it's they podcast? Yep. It's okay. his podcast. Wait, what was the other option? Podscape from Newcast. Oh, okay. Well, I don't think we're. Or the third most distant option was Pod Trouble and Little Cast. Hmm. I think uh, I just feel like I couldn't make a different call on any of those. <laughs> They're living in the same reality. Okay, so then it's They Podcast. It's They Podcast. It's a mini series called They Podcast. <laughs> uh, today we're talking about The Fog with our incredibly busy guest, Nia DaCosta. Uh, Nia, you've carved out a very small chunk of time uh, from uh, getting ready to direct a fucking Marvel movie, the thing people use as a joke <laughs> when they uh, talk about uh, their career going well and being too busy. Oh, that's funny. Um, yes, I, I did do that. I do. I feel like that's the thing. When, when the movie, when it got announced that you were directing the movie, uh, you like posted a quote of yours uh, from some interview where you said like, oh, if I ever get to direct like Avengers 8 or something, I'll just like pay off all my student debt. Like you oh, had some yeah. quote. <laughs> about like how unlikely it seemed mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and what kind of like crazy like it was winning the lottery well literally i it was less about getting a marvel movie it was more about paying off my student loans that actually felt crazy to me i was like i will only pay them off if i get a marvel movie and now that i have one i'm like jesus i still i'm not gonna pay them all off 
It's funny. Everyone thinks I literally paid them off like when I got the job, which is not how you get paid per the DGA. But yeah. <laughs> right, you, you didn't just put Kevin Feige in touch with uh, yeah with whoever. Sally May. No, he didn't start co-signing my my you know my, right. my loans or anything. <laughs> right. Though I asked, um, you know, but uh. It's it's like the scene of Falcon and the Winter Soldier where you have to like go to the bank and go like, can you forgive my loans? I'm directing a Marvel movie. <laughs> right, I'm an Avenger now. <laughs> exactly, yeah. 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 But instead of a boat, it's just uh, you know my Citibank loans. We should also mention we you came on the show uh, about nine months ago, I guess now uh, to do the the Castaway episode. Uh, and, uh, you were you were great. And then it came out and people said, it's so weird that they didn't talk about Captain Marvel even once now that <laughs> Nia's directing this big movie. And the reality is we talked about it a fair amount, but we record so far in advance. You were like, it's going to be announced by then. And then like a week before you were like, Marvel just changed their plans. We have to cut out all the Captain Marvel references. Yeah. And Ben did a very expert job of cutting around it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh man yeah i really thought it would get announced sooner and it, they were just like like oh we'll do it here we'll do it here i think everyone also was sort of low-key thinking the pandemic would disappear right in some way yeah um, and then it was like nope we're gonna wait four months since it was leaked like <laughs> to announce it so yeah so i apologize and, and but you're how many days away from filming are you now four wow <laughs> wow jesus I mean, we, in under the wire in under the wire. Yeah. yeah. But it, I, honestly, like, I've been prepping for 10 months and I, we just need to start shooting. Like, we've, there's only so much you can prep a movie, even one as big as this. And I'm just like, let's go. Let's do it. And everyone's excited sure. to go. So, yeah. At this point, you're more, like, frustrated than stressed about, yeah, starting. It's literally like having no, a I'm baby. Stressed. That is how it felt having a baby. There was a certain point oh, congratulations, where it's like a few David, weeks ago Thank, thank, thank you, Nia. Uh, but like, there's a certain point where you're like, okay, we bought all the stuff. Uh, you know, like everything. Uh, we we've read the books, I guess. Like, we're just well, we, there's nothing more to do. We just got to do this now, and you just have to wait. Yeah, it's like we get it conceptually. You're coming. Let's go. <laughs> right, exactly. The plans are in place. Yes. I should also make it clear. I I make jokes about uh, the name of David's baby. I say that the baby's named uh, Grafina Binducer Sims, which is obviously a joke. But I, you know, I don't want to step on David's privacy here. But we should mention that the actual name of David's daughter is Untitled Twenty Twenty One Marvel Film Sims. Oh yes, 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 yeah. There are lawyers that will be reaching yeah. out about that. So mm -hmm. um, you just yeah. you you gotta claim that release date. That's the thing. David just put it right. on the I map like nine months ago. Right. Had to plant the flag. <laughs> um so today we're talking about the fog, a film that Nia did not like. I actually feel really bad about this because I I would never get on a podcast and start shit talking a movie by anyone because hey, you know. Hey, this is a podcast about honesty. Mm -hmm. Above all else, we've always said that we have that sign above our door. We say this is a podcast about honesty mm -hmm. uh, and and a wide array of viewpoints. Um, this is uh, talking about like blank check movies. This mm -hmm. is the direct theatrical follow up to Halloween. So this is as blank checky as his career ever gets, even though it was produced on a very, very small yes. budget. Yeah, which you can tell. Yes, totally. The weird contrast of like uh, Carpenter is it feels like he is a man who got to really make movies he wanted to make his way, but he, mm. you know, has publicly griped 
for years about the fact that he never really felt like he got the room and the budget to make things at the scale he wanted to, that he was always sort of like uh, hustling and hacking it out and stitching things together with the bubble gum and, and yeah. spit. Um, but, but it is fascinating that like uh, even post Halloween, they're like, cool, you get $1 million to try to replicate that thing. I feel like it's like the Blumhouse thing. It's like, well, we're just going to keep giving filmmakers very little money, even though they prove that they can make films that make a lot of money, because that's just our model now. Well, look, I like uh, Jordan Peele, uh, who you worked Who's with that? in the Candyman movie. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> coming out very soon. <laughs> mm. uh, I When he, uh, post Get Out, gets offered like humongous movies. Like Akira or whatever. He was, Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> And then announced, Lord. like, no, I'm signing, like, a multi-picture deal at Universal. I was like, that's the smartest career decision I've seen from a director in a while. And and that was, like, uh, you know, him saying, like, I know what my zone is now. Now, like, yes, a, a Carpenter would have probably liked to have gotten the budget jump that Peel had from Get Out to Us. But I still think the fact that he yeah. was, like... I've established kind of my genre and there's an audience expectation of what my movies are. And I'm going to like sort of stay doing that rather than try to like get the brass ring uh, was smart. But Carpenter didn't get that sort of like uh, jump up in an interesting way. I mean, it was this and Escape from New York. He signed a two picture deal where both of them were supposed to be made for like a million dollars. Jesus Christ. And that was his big post Halloween cash and Halloween's like one of the most profitable movies at all of all time at that point, if not still to this day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, but he's, you know, he's, it's true. You're, I mean, everything you're saying is right, but he's, he's making this deal with, uh, I mean, it's embassy pictures. I figure they're called like Avco back then yeah. or whatever. He, he's sort of like, you know, he's not leaping into the big, big studio system. I don't, know why what would that have been at the time though like is was there like an ip sort of like fever like hunt as it is now going on then you know like, no I don't know what it would have jaws two. <laughs> there's jaws two, but but i think like other than the godfather part two arguably like sequels are seen as a little bit less than right the fact that carpenter doesn't direct the Halloween sequels feels par for the course because people like Spielberg aren't doing the Jaws sequels, you know? Like, uh, Friedkin's not doing the Exorcist mm, sequel. Yeah. Like, these big breakout horror movies, the people kind of move on. Uh, the fact that Carpenter, like, wrote and produced the sequel is even sort of more involvement than most of these guys had with the franchises they, they started. But I do think it's that post-Spielberg thing where, like, there is this kind of, like... Uh, auteur driven populism you know where like directors are becoming the star mm. a little bit and you have these people like uh spielberg and lucas uh even landis arguably who are like making these sort of like dudes who grew up on tv and genre movies now making slightly more sophisticated versions of them that are crossing over in a big way um and and carpenter doesn't make a studio film until the thing Oh, well, that says a lot. <laughs> right. right. That's really interesting. Yeah. And, the, and yeah. the thing is leapfrog, you know, like a big movies. Well, this movie comes out, what, 1980? This is 1980. And then Escape from New York is in between. And then the thing is, I mean, there's three right, consecutive yeah. years, which is pretty wild. 
Yeah, it is. Yeah. But like, you know, you obviously the biggest movie of the year this year is Empire Strikes Back. But you have mm-hmm. like the year before, you know, and there's like Smokey and the Bandit, too. There's a, there's a little <laughs> bit of that. But but and, you know, the year before you have Rocky. But yeah, it's more like Alien, you know, uh, the jerk, the Muppet movie, these things yeah. that are like, you know, they're, that are going to be the starts Classics. of of uh, they are classics. The start of Hollywood being like, OK, more of that, please. Right. But like the, it's just, you know, we're, we're getting into the beginning of the, the, the 80s or the blockbuster decade, the first blockbuster decade, really. Yeah, it, it is wild. Also, I feel like we've remarked upon this before, but like 1977 Star Wars, the biggest movie ever. Number two at the box office, Smokey and the Bandit. 1980, <laughs> biggest movie, Empire Strikes Back. Number two, Smokey and the Bandit 2. Burt Reynolds was just always there bringing up the he, rear he on Lucas. That's hilarious. And 9 to 5. 9 to 5 was a huge 1980 movie. Like, it's, it's, yeah, it's a more... humongous. The, the genre spread in the box office. That movie is so unhinged. It is unhinged. 9 to 5 is one of the most structurally bizarre movies I have ever seen. And I, I like it. I like it. But the, yeah, it, it is... the. Th- the middle act of that movie is just a series of dream sequences, essentially. Yeah, like I, well, that's I didn't know that's what I was like because I think like Working Girl and Nine to Five are always sort of in a, a similar conversation, and they're so different. One is like a movie yeah. with a narrative structure that kind of makes makes sense, and the other one is literally just a bunch of dream sequences, right? This sort of Cinderella story type thing, right? That's crazy. Yeah. Yes. It's it's the dream sequences in the middle of nine to five go on almost as long as the fist fight and they live. It's like a similar kind <laughs> of like, I can't believe this much of the movie yeah. is this one thing in the middle. Um, we should mention and we will have covered these on our uh, Patreon by now or maybe one of them's about to come out. But Carpenter does two TV movies in between Halloween and The Fog. He does Somebody's Watching Me, which is uh, his wife, Adrian Barbeau's first film. That's how he meets her. Uh, and then this becomes her theatrical film debut. And then he does his epic uh, Elvis miniseries with Kurt Russell, which is how he meets Kurt Russell. So like in between Halloween and the Fog, he meets two of his biggest collaborators of the next decade. Um, but also, I, I think... I I have read interviews with him where he has said that, like, uh, doing Elvis in particular was him trying to, like, knowing that post-Halloween this was an opportunity to show people that he Mm. could do a different thing so that he did not get sort of... um, Turn into the horror guy, right. Yeah. (laughs) I love that because I didn't even, I don't even think I engaged with the fact that he directed Big Trouble in Little China because it's not a horror film, you know? Like, it's really... I found that really interesting. Yeah, right. you he, he is, of course, the master of horror, right? Like, yeah. that is a label he does not really escape. But, yeah. And, and you know, he, he goes on to make films that are more satirical or more sci-fi or what have you. But uh, I do think it's interesting, whereas, like... Uh, and I, I, I'm curious uh, your perspective on this, Nia, because you've had uh, somewhat similar trajectories in your career. But, like, uh, there, there are a lot of horror directors where you'll read interviews with them and they're like yeah i was like never really interested in horror Mm. i made a horror movie out of film school because no one wanted to make my dramas it's like the one film where you could sort of like the one genre where you could get stuff greenlit if you had a good enough premise and you were willing to work cheap and then the thing was a hit and i got stuck in it like i feel like wes craven's a guy who talks like that oh wow you know there are a lot of these people who came out of like Corman or Corman adjacent things and they're like horror was my way to get the foot in the door 
and then it, it hit and I had a hard time convincing anyone to let me make anything other than horror. Whereas I feel like Carpenter has always been very forward about the fact that it's like, no, these are the movies he loved as a kid. Like these are the movies that made him want to make movies. He had interest in making other types of things just for the sake of variety, but he didn't feel like he ended up in horror by accident. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I, I mean, I love to hear that because like, he doesn't seem like someone who ended up in horror by accident. Like when I, when I look at his, when anyone looks at right. his work, you're like, oh yeah, like you're someone who like loves doing this. Um, and that's funny that Wes Craven said that because I'm like, oh, that makes Scream, like I think about Scream in a completely different context then. Not completely different, but I can see like that's really interesting. Him yeah. like passionately breaking down the genre that he got quote unquote stuck in. That's really fascinating. But I, I mean, I always loved horror films growing up. Like I would purposefully try to like scare myself as much as possible as a kid, like at home by myself while the lights off because I was a latchkey kid. Um, but I definitely, and I always wanted to do a horror film, but I I never thought like, oh, I'm definitely going to do a horror movie first or second or like I never really, um, yeah, I never really, I don't know. I think just because it was Candyman and because it was Jordan, that's why that was so exciting to me. Um, but there are a lot of, I think horror is mostly pretty bad when, when I think about scripts I've read <laughs> after, you know, I got Candyman. Um, so, and I don't think I'm like, my instinct is not like in the way of Jordan like thinks in horror, I feel like, you know, he's like, that's the, like, even looking at Key and Peele, it's like, they always ended in some weird horror beat and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> and it's like, well, that's what his brain does. And my brain doesn't really naturally do that, even though I really love horror. Like I'd have to really sit down and like think, okay, how, how would I? Like, what would this horror story be? Um, which is what I did with Candyman. But that has a lot... I don't know. That's, like, a whole thing that existed already, so... Um, but but Little Woods is a movie, like, you watch and you go, oh, this person could make a good horror film. Okay. Like, it's not a horror yeah. film, you know, but it has these thriller elements. It has a build of tension, you know? There, there are elements even just in terms of, like, the location and the energy and the relationships and everything that feel like... Oh, in a, in someone else's hands, this could turn after the first act into some sort of monster horror movie, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. I mean, I, I really like being scared. And I like, as a director, being able to scare people, whether that's because, like, a monster pops out of the closet or because people might not make it, you know, to the end of their probation or whatever. Um, so I guess that's true. I guess I just, like, when I think about, like, like, I want to tell a story about, like, X, Y, Z. I don't, I don't know if my brain would automatically go, like, and it's going to be horror. But I think that my brain would definitely go, how can I make this as tense as fucking possible? Right, sure. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. John Carpenter goes, he's, you know, this Griff, right? We, well, I'm looking at our notes right now. He goes to England. What does England have? Fog. Right. He's he at a film festival fog. for, I guess, uh, Assault on Precinct 13. It's pre-Halloween. Yes. It's for it's for Assault on Precinct 13. And he sees fog and he's like, oh, what if what if there was fog? Like, that? what if the fog was the villain of the movie? That was, right. M. Night that Shyamalan, was how isn't it? it is. 
environmental yes they're very similar in that way i think where they'll like latch on to a very very basic kind of primal hook yeah and carpenter certainly has like a lot of ideas and uh ideologies he puts into his movies but i i don't think he reverse engineers them from that Mm. like he does just look at something and go like oh that would be scary for a whole movie and then i think in the process of writing it his his feelings get put into it uh but yeah i mean there's this quote from him here where he says like uh i I have a great feeling for physical movies i don't like intellectual films i love suspense i want the audience to laugh and cry an emotional response uh the medium is emotional not so much like a book or a play really as like music which makes sense when you consider that he's you know trained as a musician first and foremost Mm. and uh you know obviously composed almost all of his films and this is a movie that really feels like uh, this the score is maybe doing the heaviest lifting of all of his movies that I've seen. Yeah, it's. I mean, some of the things are like somewhat baffling when I looked when I was watching it. I was like, like some of the the pacing at the end, especially like the church sequence. I was like, what? I was like, I feel like you've done this better before and after, John. It was very. I honestly was so flummoxed. <laughs> that was that was his takeaway. That was yeah. that's that was his opinion of this film, basically. He was like, I mean, first he makes it and he's like, I've made a bomb. This is not exciting enough. And he went back and reshot and he put in a little more gore and a little more like action just to sort of like spice it up. What I read is that a third of the movie as it exists now was done in reshoots. Oh, wow. That they screened it. It was longer. And he was like, this completely doesn't work. Uh, Deborah Hill, who's his producing partner, co-writer at this point, uh, uh and and had been halloween and everything um was like the audience is going to be expecting gore mm. that's what's like de rigor right now especially because you are a post halloween guy we have to put a little more gore in there and he also just thought the story was kind of like incoherent mm. it wasn't tracking the film was dull so like the that entire i think opening attack sequence not opening but in the first act the, the, uh, the, the killing of the fisherman. That's all yes. new. That's all new. The the John Houseman opening is new. He didn't yes. have that as framework. And he was like, the audience cannot track what's going on. I need an old man with a stopwatch to explain it at the beginning. Also, we never <laughs> go back to him, right? Like, we just, it's just like an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? All because, the because it was reshoots. Crazy. He wasn't supposed <laughs> to be there. He's the Crypt Keeper. Yes, exactly. It's Twilight Zone. It's such a funny thing where it was just like, oh, this movie doesn't track. Let me hire an Academy Award winner to come in and do like a five minute monologue uh, and just kind of set the table for the movie and then never go back to it ever again. But it also feels like because like with Halloween 2, you know, Carpenter sort of produces that and that movie comes out, what, a year after this, like and also comes in and adds in more gore because he's like this thing. Yeah. He, he he does seem to be a little afraid of the shadow of Halloween where he's like, I've created this monster. Now everyone's doing horror movies that are even more intense mm. and I have to match it if I'm going to work in the genre. And he, Cronenberg apparently was one that really startled them. Like when Cronenberg movies start coming out, they're like, holy shit, like how is he getting away with this? You know? And so it's this, that, uh, this, the, the fog, uh, Halloween two. I feel like there's another thing I'm thinking. I mean, it just feels like by the thing, it's like he's like, all right, you know, okay. I feel like now, 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 I, I am, I am the king again. Like you know, I, sure. I know what I'm doing. He's like, sure. back away, peasants. I, just right, let me do right. my work. Like, and you're like, yes, do it, please. I, I look, 
I, I've seen the fog. I guess I'm the only one. Ben, had you seen the fog before? No. Okay, so I'm the only one to see the fog. I love the fog. The fog rules. Uh, <laughs> but it is, I do love, but I love it for its sort of janky, uh, dark ride kind of, you know, where the monsters almost are just these little shambling, you know, nobodies that you barely see. And it's a lot of chat and it's a lot of just like, you know, sort of what's up in this little town. Like, I, I, I like it as a sort of, you know, airport paperback thing. And, mm, and I, yeah, I, 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 I love the colors and I love the score, obviously. I just, I love the whole mood of the fog. But I do not find the fog particularly frightening. And I assume no, Carpenter no. was worried about that. I, I, I find it uh, unnerving. Like, I think it builds up a very good uh, energy. Like... I, I don't know. I, I woke up early. I couldn't sleep. And I was like, oh, fuck it. Am I going to watch the Fog remake? Like, oh, God, you did know, you, okay. so many of Carpenter's films been remade that I was like, I didn't want to commit to the idea that I would have to do it for every episode. But I was just like, fuck, let me just see. Because I also know that one's like despised. No one likes that one. Right. Yeah, I, no one's I, a fan. Right. Not just within the realm of Carpenter remakes, but I feel like in the 2000s, the surge of like remaking all the 70s and 80s horror movies, most of which were successful the fog was notoriously like one of the least successful and one of the least liked and i made it 30 minutes in before it failed my do i want to keep watching this or take a nap test it was it's it tom welling right it's Is tom the... welling and maggie grace <laughs> yeah. and selma blair and Tom Welling essentially plays ostensibly yeah well at that point yeah yes yes <laughs> Selma Blair's playing Adrian Barbeau. <laughs> Maggie Grace is playing Jamie Lee Curtis. Tom Welling is playing Tom Adkins. But the three characters are fundamentally not the same. And most of the things are changed in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But the thing the thing I, I noted, the one thing of uh, sort of an interesting comparison point before I shut off the movie and slept for 45 minutes was that uh, that movie's all CGI fog. Uh-huh. And ah, interesting. CGI fog is not scary. I feel like this is a problem that is uh, constantly uh, made, mistake that's constantly made in Hollywood where they do like scary clouds as a villain. Uh, Green Lantern has its scary cloud. Yes. And Fantastic Four Rise of Silver Surfer turns Galactus into a cloud. I was just thinking about Galactus. Mm -hmm. What a terrible depiction of Galactus. I have a lot of feelings about Galactus. Please, I'm sure you are deep in your feelings about how to do cosmic Marvel (laughs) shit. But like, that that is like the most (laughs) cowardly, unimaginative, boring fucking thing in the world. Yeah, Fantastic Beasts. You mentioned that, right? That that has the whole cloud. Fantastic Beasts, he's an evil cloud too. Um... I feel like Loki did like an okay evil cloud in in one episode, but it also was like a minor threat in one episode. Like that's the other thing. Like they just treated. What episode was it? I've only seen three of them. It's in the second to last, right? Yeah. Yeah. But the thing that was good about the cloud in Loki, and I won't spoil too much, is just like the cloud is is supposed to be a lot of sound and fury, not signifying that much. Like it's not the ultimate bad guy. The cloud. The cloud is Mm -hmm. like the projection of the wizard of oz like it's it's a it's a sort of uh right. it's to mm. scare you off not the right. actual thing you need to defeat right because yeah, um, smoke and fog can't hurt you well, this <laughs> is, I don't it's just not effective smoke like, can definitely hurt you do not go well, around breathing yeah, oh, in smoke make me cough <laughs> and, and move away from it well, like come on also yeah. the thing about the fog is like fog it's like 
As we've all experienced fog in our lives, the only time fog is actually scary is when you're driving and trying not to crash on other people. Sure. Like, that's the only time fog is scary. Fog is not scary. That's a good point. And so, like, it's not like the dark where you're like, the dark can't hurt you, but, like, the, you can't see anything in the dark. You really can't. And, like, the dark is everywhere. Whereas fog is like, oh, I'm in San Francisco. How pretty. <laughs> you know? Like, it, so that makes it trickier. I love the idea, like, there are things in the fog, like the mist and blah, blah, blah. But, like... And I honestly, I love that they're like leprous, like sailing <laughs> yeah. sailors, you know, but, um, but like, I don't know, it, it is tricky. Cause then like, for me, the most successful part of the movie was actually the woman in the lighthouse. Like, yeah. I love that. The fact that she could like see the fog coming in and say like, it's here, it's here, it's here. And then you see everyone kind of dealing yes. with that. Like, I really like that bit of the movie. Exactly. I, I completely agree. I think that is, if you're going to, you know, the success of the fog of any like slow villain in a horror movie right is the weird dread of like i know it's coming i can see it coming there's not much i can do about it and i'm like you know i'm realizing i'm doomed right like the weird reverse you know of that well this is the thing i was gonna say about the cgi fog is that like when i'm watching some fucking movie where there's just like cgi mist at you know 2005 standards so like particle physics are not as good in low budget cgi as they are now (laughs) it's not scary when i'm like well you're controlling that you're trying to make the fog look scary you're giving the fog an intentionality you're having it move in a set pattern there's something uh maybe not scary but a little bit eerie about the way that carpenter shoots fog where like it it's so slow pouring out there's a randomness to its like dissipation you know obviously the way he's lighting it like it does give it that kind of like eerie like oh what is this stuff kind of thing but he also just slows the fuck down and a lot of it is like his score sort of feeling like the musical embodiment of this slow weird creeping persistent thing um, but I, but I think, I mean, there was this quote here where, uh, in our notes, uh, so the idea of the fog provides a framework in which I've always wanted to work. There are opportunities to do certain cinematic things with ghosts that can only be done in movies. You don't really see the ghost in the fog as much as you think you do. The fog moves around, it glows, it comes through window panes. I think that audiences are going to have fun with that. I think that's like his whole idea in this is that like, oh, you can have the camera kind of function like the fog, Right. You can sort of do the it follows thing where a camera slowly creeping in suddenly has a different power to it. I was thinking about it follows. But you can also like be looking constantly at the corners of the frame saying like, oh, fuck, is fog coming in here? Like it's just setting (laughs) up this sort of looming threat of this this thing that can slowly kind of seep in. Right. But, you know, like ghosts are like, ooh, you know, like they make a noise. Sure. Oh, you you need noise? (laughs) I felt like the fog should have had a voice, like, I'm the fog, here I come, the fog, here I am. Like, it just, it needed sound, do you know? Like, I feel like it would have really maybe, like, made, like, more tension. Ben, let's just acknowledge the amount of smoke and vapors you have deliberately inhaled in your life have probably (laughs) killed any possibility of you ever finding fog scary. Oh, absolutely. If anything, I'm like, let me puff on that. Um... You are the fog. That is the fog. Yeah. (laughs) I think what we're talking, you know, like it's a good, he's, it's a reversal again. He's not going to do a movie where someone's going to jump through the window at you. Like 
You can't really do jumps with fog. You can't make Halloween again. So he's in a horror space, but he's in like the opposite kind of horror space. And a lot of this movie is daytime. A lot of this movie is daytime. That's the thing I like about it a lot. I feel like he's experimenting with some different types. I mean, I like this movie maybe less than you, David, but I like it. Oh, so good. Uh, I find that, you know, very interesting watching it in the prism of watching all of his movies now and seeing like the way he's evolving and, and this so much as a reaction to Halloween. Um, but yes, I, I think he's experimenting with different sort of vernacular of horror movies after making this movie that everyone is now ripping off and will continue to rip off for decades. He's immediately trying to like change the script and go like, can you be scary in this setting? Can you do this? I mean, even the scenes that take place at night, the fog is bright. Yeah. Like when the fog enters a room, it gets lighter, which is the opposite of how most of these films, uh, work. Um, I also think like you have Michael Myers who immediately becomes so iconic, right? Is like arguably, I mean, maybe, uh, ARP is going to, uh, tear me a new one and correct me in our Halloween episode, which we haven't recorded yet. But like that sort of feels like the first like slasher villain of that level who really becomes like a star in that kind of sense and certainly has that visual power. And in this movie, it's like Blake is just kind of whispered about most of the movie. You barely see any physicalization of them. It's only at the end. And then like, I knew that like this company I like had made an action figure of Captain Blake. And so I kept on waiting for the whole movie to see him. Because I knew what this fucking action figure looked like. And then I was like, what did they base this fucking toy off of? He's a silhouette with red eyes. Like, you never get to see fine detail on this guy. Yeah. I don't know what the costume looked like on set. But he, like, pointedly it, never... Is the toy very clear? The toy. I'll, just... I'll post the photo. The toy is hyper clear. Like, oh, yeah. So funny. And, and it's I very Pirates of the Caribbean. It's, very, it's a zombie pipe. It's a zombie guy with a... A sword and he's yes. got you know belts and he looks like a zombie pirate. Yeah, when that saber came out, I was like, wait, I I was also because I like I was like I didn't because they're not actually pirates; they're just like some dudes, right? They are not pirates. They are like a clipper ship or whatever. It's not. It's yeah. They're they're not pirates. It's just they're merchants or whatever. But the uh, I guess yeah. the period dress. They all look like pirates to me. Do you just not vibe <laughs> with pirates, Nia? Like, do, do pirates, you're just, like, inherently goofy? Uh, no, I actually, um, I really want to make a TV show about pirates. Really? Like, I love pirates. I think pirates are the best. Pirates are cool. Um, pirates are awesome. I mean, they're cool, and also they're very interesting intellectually, but I won't get into that. But they're just fucking cool. Um, <laughs> so are, like, um, privateers. Like, they're just very interesting to me. I was just, like, I feel like the story of the the ghosts wasn't like they had no real connection to anyone in the town except for the priest who we only saw in the beginning and the end and i guess in the middle for a second like i wanted there to be more like stakes for like anyone <laughs> besides just like death yeah because i think that like the, the this is one of those movies with a novelization where the novelization is like yeah you know they're all the victims are related to the people who originally did this terrible thing and yeah. all you know like oh, and the movie is kind of leaving that to you mostly it's kind yes. of like you know you figured it out right like come on the town the people did it yeah they're supposed to be the six that's why he keeps on saying it's six they're supposed to be right. the six living descendants of the people who perpetrated uh the crime against them um right the movie could probably benefit from 
stating that at some point. Yeah, you know, whatever. Hal Holbrook. You Did know. they say that in the movie? I mean, I know they no. said six will die. They say in the movie. Oh, okay. okay, they, okay. they never say it. It's implication. <laughs> yeah, but it's pretty vague implication at that. Oh, okay, okay. Um, but yeah, so no, because it, it, yes, this is a film, right? The ostensible lead is Adrienne Barbeau. She's mostly in the lighthouse sort of running point, watching everything happen. But then you've got Tom Atkins and Jamie Lee Curtis kind of on the ground, like moving from location to location, right? I love those two. They were great. They're great. I I love Tom Atkins, who is in lots of, uh, he's in Escape from New York. He's in Halloween 3. I love that guy. He's such such a guy. Yeah, and like a horror movie legend. Yeah, yeah. I feel like he's like because a of king this. of this conventions his, guy. But then also... This he, is his kickoff. Yes, yes, this is a kickoff. But then, you know, he does like Night of the Creeps and, you know, he just becomes one of those guys who's like a superstar mm-hmm. in this corner but of the, I like, uh, the industry. That's what I love about it because he's just such a like regular ass dude. He's kind of like bulky yeah. and he's got a stash a lot of the time. And he's he really, just, you know... He looks like such a regular guy. Yeah. Yeah, he's great. I love that it's like they have that conversation in the car and she's like, you're not weird, are you? And he's like, yeah, I'm weird. Hell and then yeah. I feel like I looked away for a second and looked back and she's just like naked. And Jumped his bones. Hell yeah. Like, this is great. <laughs> I was like, I like this so much. She's a weird chaser. <laughs> she's literally looking for some strange at any given moment. Yeah. And, and she pounces on him. Um, right. I, lo- I love that, right, in 1980 where it's like, you know, most people, as we know, are normal. But <laughs> we <laughs> sure. don't like that. Right. <laughs> exactly. I do like narrative how kind of uh, narratively how spread out it is. Like, I feel like so many horror movies of this era are like a crew that's getting picked off one by one. And this is sort of the splintered narrative where you have like Atkins and Curtis, you have Barbo in the lighthouse, you have Holbrook trying to like solve stuff. You know, they're your three main points. Barbo's son as well, like it's about them slowly coming together to face this thing rather than starting with one group and, and winnowing it down, which I think is an interesting way to do it. Cause it also like, I feel like a lot of horror movies like this, uh, not even horror movies like this horror movies in general, you'll have your like main cast and then you'll cut away to like some set piece with some character you're only being introduced to at that moment to get killed off, you know? Yeah. Or the first character killed off. Or you have to come up with some crazy reason for them to split up. Right. And then the first character killed off in the group. So that you can't have that narrative. Yeah. Yeah. The first character killed off in the group. You haven't gotten to know that well. Um, It's kind of nice that this you get a sense of how like pervasive this is across the town because everyone split off. But also Mm -hmm. everyone's surviving other than that one group of boat guys, you know. Uh, and then the babysitter later. It's like you... the babysitter. The babysitter gets it back. <laughs> that was so funny. I was like, oh my god, she literally just got pulled into the fog. Like, like she was just like, oh, and the way it happened was so awkward. She's just like turning around very slowly, <laughs> like oh, and then she just disappears while the little boy closes the door. I was like, it. Wow. It's also funny after <laughs> Carpenter makes like the definitive babysitter horror movie. Yes. That he's like, yeah. I want to make it clear. It's not just about young women. I'll kill old babysitters, too. Yeah, you got <laughs> exactly. nice old, a nice old lady babysitter. She, she, she better stay away from that fog. I'm not passing judgment on high schoolers. You can, you can get right. the, the elderly next door neighbor. I'm still going to fucking kill her. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny. I was like, oh, Lord. Oh, man. I actually really like that part. And I like the, I really, I mean, I really love the woman in the lighthouse. 
And I, I thought she was, like, going to sacrifice herself or something so that she'd keep reporting on the fog, <laughs> which is ridiculous. But I was like, oh, my God, she's just going to stay here and let everyone know where the fog is going to come in so she can save as many people as possible. Why do I think that? I don't know. But it's also lighthouses. They're very romantic. Oh, well, I I do want we should talk at length about living and working in a lighthouse because it seems really cool. But uh, mm. the part in the movie where she's just yelling, save my son, I had this thought, what if you just yeah. picked up that radio station the town over and you're like, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> it's just fog, listening. guys. It's God, deal. lady, get a, get a, get a break. It's like War of the Worlds or some shit. But like this lighthouse still exists. You can go visit it. It's up in um, Marin County, California, up you know in the Bay Area, um, and it's very. Pre- I mean, lighthouses are cool. Do we all agree that it might? Yeah. It's oh, like you. Yeah. Everyone fantasizes Absolutely. about like this sort of weird solitary existence out there. Well, not after I saw that that uh, who's that one with the black and white thing with the mermaid, the Robert Eggers movie. Oh, whatever. Ben's yeah. favorite yeah. movie, Jesus yeah, with the vagina. <laughs> with the vagina is a good way to put. I guess the it was more of a cloaca or yeah, something. But, but I was you know, like, sure, there's a lot of sure. there's a lot of openings. So that, that ruined movie. lighthouses for me. Yeah, Ben bought a lighthouse after seeing that movie. <laughs> <laughs> He's like mermaids with vaginas. <laughs> Come to get me a white lighthouse. Farting with my friend. Yeah, I gotta do this. Yeah, uh, Nia, new development is that uh, on a recent episode, Ben just casually referred to him as Bob. <laughs> Bob Pattinson. I know him like that. He didn't even yeah. say Pattinson. He just said first name basis, Bob. That's right. There's... A lot of lighthouse movies, I guess, because come on, right? Aren't there other lighthouse? But there's the light between oceans. Sure, very scary, a deeply, <laughs> deeply okay. terrifying film. Oh, there's lights. There's that one about the tooth fairy. Oh, darkness tooth falls. Fairy. Yes, darkness falls and ends with her smashing over the lighthouse light. Right. Yes, uh, and she with, says, uh... "I see you, bitch," and like smashes over the thing. And I remember being like, oh, can we stop having like something, something bitch be like the big ending of a horror movie before you defeat the whoever? I'm like, this is so 2006. <laughs> Obsessed with calling monsters bitches. Yes. They also, he, he should have, I mean, Freddy drove that into the ground. He, there were no bitches left in horror after Freddy was done with his original run of movies. <laughs> but also I feel like a tooth fairy movie, you should end with some fucking tooth pun. Don't, don't just call her a bitch. Say like. Here's the ugly tooth or exactly. something. You know, here's a Well Is that what they have to say? Is here's the ugly tooth? <laughs> yeah, they should maybe say here's the ugly tooth. Uh there's um, You can't uh, handle the tooth. You can't handle the tooth. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. there's Shutter Island that has a good lighthouse. Sure. Good. Oh yeah. Annihilation had a good lighthouse. Oh, okay. you know, yeah. uh, oh uh, for sure. Um Season two of Dolly and M. On HBO. Uh, did not watch season two of Doll and M. Terrifying. Is there a lighthouse in it? What what happens in season two? They go to a lighthouse to write their uh, TV series or something? Sure. I can't or book. Right. I can't remember what they're doing, but they go to a lighthouse to, to write uh, it. it does actually sound scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I couldn't do it. I mean lighthouses are too small. Also, they're like, very bright, I assume, every you know, all the time. <laughs> I guess but, so. Well, um, not all the time. It's like, you know, it goes around in a circle, so it's only a little bit. Yeah, but Ben, you're on the inside. Yeah, it's everywhere you go, Ben. Well, well, yeah, but you still still shines. It's everywhere around you. Exactly. Um, I I do feel like, uh, you know, a lot of Lighthouse movies, I guess, like, the the 
the isolation of it and then also sort of like the fear of like, oh, you're at like the most extreme vantage point, right? You're at like an elevated height. Mm. You have this light shining. You can see the threat before anyone else. I like that in this, it's like her chill ass radio studio <laughs> that it's like this very kind of cool vibe. She's also really good in this. Yeah. Like it's it's yeah. one of those things where you're like, oh, he like marries the actress from his TV movie and it makes her the lead of his next movie. This is her first film. Like what's this performance going to be? And she has like such command as a broadcaster. You know, yeah, like you yeah. actually buy this as a compelling radio show, which I feel like is where a lot of movies fail is when you ask a performer to be a different type of performer and you sure. don't believe that they actually 100%. could hold that position. Like in the remake, Selma Blair plays this like Sarah Koenig from uh, Serial uh, 10 years before podcasts <laughs> are a thing. Like she, her radio broadcasts are like, hey, everybody, I hope you're all doing well out there. I'm going to play another <laughs> tune for you. And you're like, no, no one would listen to this. And right. Adrian Barbeau, I'm like, this is like, this is like, she's like alluring. This is like a good vibe. She's confident. Yeah. I do want to point out, she, you know, she had been Maud's daughter for six years on Maud. She, she, had, she was a oh, solid, sure. she was a well-known, you know, figure. Sure. She wasn't a total nobody. But um, even still, I feel like uh, uh, sitcoms were... Yeah, uh, yes, yes. And, and were a real career silo at that point. Yeah. People didn't come out of sitcoms to yeah. do movies. And certainly to do movies in a different genre, I think they were sort of judged harshly. I mean, she's certainly like not the worst performance in the movie. There were a couple that I was like, what is happening right now? It was very confusing. I was a bit alarmed uh <laughs> well you, but you do have janet lee obviously uh, uh you know psycho mm-hmm. royalty uh as the the i get the matriarch of the town kind of i guess like what well, you know that she's uh-huh. sort of the mayor's wife right yeah but that... she's a... she keeps calling her assistant stupid to her face <laughs> what the fuck is up with that it's so rude <laughs> You got Holbrook. I'm very much loving everything Holbrook's given me. Yeah. Uh, as the priest. Hmm. He's just he's just sort of instant gravitas <laughs> for me. Um, but yeah, everyone else, I don't really know. What do we call that gravitas? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Coming well, from Hal Holbrook? Coming from Grandpa Hal? Hal? I know, I know, I know. Listen, I just feel <laughs> so Please. many things. <laughs> you know what it is, too? I think, like, for whatever reason, I don't know if all his stuff is reshoot stuff, but like the staging and blocking of all of his scenes were was were so awkward, especially in the beginning. It was like like when when that the stone comes out of the the masonry to reveal the his grandfather's mm-hmm. like book or whatever or box with the book in it. Yes. It was like his face close, a rock, the wall. And I was like, wait, what is this? And I was like. Oh my god! I feel like a studio note coming into my brain, like a really stupid one, and I just felt like so disoriented. Because you know, studio would be like, "I don't understand. Can you do a wide?" You know, but I kind of was like, "I don't get what's happening." Like, <laughs> like I felt slightly belligerent watching this movie. It feels like there is uh, a, a little more precision to the stuff that I, I either know he reshot or assume mm-hmm. was part of the reshoots. Um, yeah. like even, even, the, even the opening houseman sequence has a little more visual precision to it than that opening Holbrook sequence. I agree is a little bit. You mean that smash zoom? Yeah. It's a little confused. That came out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, whoosh. And then it cut in the zoom. I was like, what? <laughs> it was like, oh man. It was actually my favorite shot in the entire movie. 
I wonder if it was like a, a lack of shoot days thing or just him trying to experiment with other stuff that didn't work. And then, I mean, obviously, as he said, when they screened it, he thought it was really bad. Like it was fully terrible. Mm. And he shot new stuff to try to salvage it. And I think it wasn't just uh, story stuff or gore. It was also to try to put some style into the movie uh, ostensibly. Uh, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, of course, like everyone always talks about how trading places was such a career reinvention for her, that it was like such a seismic change for her to go from horror to comedy. And like in a modern era, you don't think about that being as much of a a hill to climb, uh, of being that stuck Mm -hmm. in one genre. But I didn't realize the extent to which her career is like TV appearances. Halloween's her first movie. Then her second movie is The Fog. Then she does Prom Night and Terror Train within the same year. She has three horror movies in 1980. Then she does uh, Road Games, another horror film, 1981, uh, in the same year as Halloween 2. Right, exactly. And then then her next movie is Trading Places. It was was truly like, I guess she's the first and the greatest scream queen to like actually jump ship. Whereas like, all the other sort of class, so were so many of the other classic scream queens are that's what they are, like Heather Langenkamp or whatever, you know, like they, you know, they, you're Barbara Crampton and you're yeah. always going to be going to like Fangoria conventions and stuff like that. Right. Like it's a great, you know, it's, it's, there's cool status to it, but that's yeah. what you are. Meanwhile, Jamie Lee Curtis married a lord. She yeah. did. She married a lord and a great comedian <laughs> all in one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, I love everything going on for her. I just feel like it's great. Have you seen any lords w- w- where you're at? Great like on the streets. <laughs> great question, Ben. Yeah. Great question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we should we should mention right now uh, because uh, David probably doesn't know this that you are currently in uh, England. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? What? Yeah. Oh wow. Uh huh. That's I do know that. Oh, where you're from. Yes, what? thank you. That's People what talk I'm about it all the time here, David. They're like, when are you coming back? When's David what? They're like, our, our prodigal son. They miss him. That's right. They're like, our prince had a child. When are they bringing... <laughs> <laughs> yes. When is the prince bringing his child to be christened at St. Paul's Cathedral? Well, because every, right, every new English citizen has to swear an allegiance to the queen, of course. So I have to bring to like kiss the queen now you're gonna have to bleep out her name bleep yeah. her name out yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. i will anyway Un- uh, untitled marvel studios 2020 yeah right 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 <laughs> whatever her name is for cat um uh, <laughs> but um they have your place in the house of lords waiting for you david i i, I am no lord I, I do not have a peerage <laughs> waiting me in, in in england but maybe one day for services to podcasting maybe i'll get a, a lordship yes, yes they do give obes for that they, right, exactly. I mean, if you've ever seen Christopher Guest in like Girlfriends or one of those like you know seventies movies, he was hot. Girl, he, he oh, was yeah. a cutie. Sorry, yeah. I thought you meant Girlfriends, the like UPN not the show, UPN sitcom. Like, no, no, no. The seventies uh, like, indie movie. Nia, you don't remember that Christopher Guest did two seasons in the main cast of UPN's Girlfriends? <laughs> yeah, I knew he was one of the girlfriends, but I really. <laughs> Tracy Ellis Ross. Golden yeah. Brooks, Christopher Guest, <laughs> the Lost Tapes. Yeah, um, girlfriend had some really good guest guest uh, people. Yeah. Kelsey sure. Grammer, obviously, he produced the show. He he was in it. Kelsey Grammer uh, produced probably, girlfriends. He's executive. He was one of the creators of girlfriends. He was what? The, uh, 
Yeah. He, Kelsey Grammer, mogul. You know, he was kind of in mogul mode uh, the those final seasons of Frasier. I'm obsessed with Kelsey Grammer. Get Kelsey Grammer in a I've movie. I watched all of Frasier this year, and he's no. I feel like you know his personal life is distressing. So sure, yeah, yeah, I can't yeah, yeah, yeah. be around that chaos. He, he's got a lot going on. Yeah, but he is so phenomenal as an actor. It's absolutely insane. Yeah. Like watching Frasier, you're like, oh, this is like. I mean, the entire cast is amazing, but like he is so fucking good. Down Periscope. I mean, Ben. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> It's it's wild watching Cheers where his character is supposed to be like an antagonist, right? Like he's supposed to be like the fucking Mm -hmm. asshole who steals the love interest. And then he is so funny on that that they're like, we're going to keep you around and make you this guy's friend. (laughs) That like he then right. Diane leaves the show and his character is sad sack who goes to the bar with the guy who stole his fiance, even though she eventually left him too. Uh, and then it just becomes about his own failing marriage. Um, he's uh, so good. It's a yes. B.B. Newworth, who, which is just an amazing, ugh, it's all so good. B.B. Newworth is, are, I, I might, this might be my hottest take ever. B.B. Newworth might be the best performance across the run of Cheers. Oh, you know what? I can fuck with that. I mean, I, I mean, think. I think you can make the argument just because she's so good, but it's kind of one of those things where it's like, there's probably four or five names you could say yes. there and no one would really be able to fight you. I just think she, it's kind of the most impressive character work and she never misses. Like coach is my favorite character, but I think, Oh, coach. Yeah. I think she might be the best performance Lilith. Um, I, I, the the Jamie Lee Curtis thing, I just, in my mind, I, I feel like as a kid when I would fucking read things about, like, movie history, watch documentaries or whatever, I wouldn't understand the way that people would talk about, like, uh, perception in that way of, like, can you believe Jamie Lee Curtis overcame becoming a screen queen? And I'd be like, why would, like, an actor being in one type of movie prevent them from being believable in a different type of movie? I think the industry has sort of moved past that to a certain degree now, to some degree. But, like, you really look at the 70s and the 80s and even the 90s, and it really was, like, if you're a sitcom star, you're a sitcom star. You're a TV actor. You're a horror person. Like, all this sort of shit. She just went so hard on horror for, like, three years there, and most of them were very successful, that I guess it really did feel like she was making her bed with that one genre and then trading places felt yeah. like kind of like revelatory. But she is interesting in that, like, as opposed to some other people, she never sort of like cast aspersions on horror. No. She never kind of She's like looked back on it with disgust. Right. She does yeah. Halloween again 20 years later and then 20 years after that. But she'll also do shit like Scream Queens. And she did that th- that documentary. What's it called? Terror in the Isles. I don't know that. What? Yes, it's it's like a it was a big hit in the well not a big but a medium sized hit in the eighties that's like a documentary about horror movies. Oh cool. But it was like sort of like the that's entertainment of horror at the time, right? right? Like mm-hmm. it was sort of a compilation of the scariest scenes in movies that became like a commercial success. But but that's right, that's eighty four. That's the year after trading places. Like she's sort of wore her crown as a screen queen while also saying like i'm gonna do other things as well which is kind of an impressive balance yeah. to pull off of course her mom is janet lee in case people don't know that oh right yeah oh i always forget that even though she literally is in this movie um yeah she doesn't we don't have any scream queens now though like 
I know Nev Campbell no. they were trying to make into a scream queen, but I was like, that doesn't count. Doesn't work. Nev Campbell's probably the closest. Like that's the thing. Yeah. But but yeah. But who yeah. jumps from like a franchise? Like there's no one, right? I mean, because now it's like you remake a Nightmare on Elm Street, you bring in Rooney yeah. Mara, you bring in just like a sort of very talented young actor for for a role like that. I, I'm trying to think like And then they sort of can't get out of horror fast enough. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like, okay, fine. I, I did my horror yeah. movie. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure there are yeah. examples. Also, there's not enough original horror, right? Like you can't go from like, franchise problem. to franchise in That's horror. That's a good point. Right. Yes. Because cause everything we're remaking used to be original. I mean, a- M- Emma Roberts has done a lot. That's true. Yeah. 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 Vera Farmiga has done a lot of horror, I guess. Ethan Hawke weirdly does a lot of horror. That's now. true. And Patrick Wilson. It, well, we love that. We, you know, th- that, that, I mean, that's more like it's like, well, this is where I can make a smaller scale movie that's not like, you know, a studio breathing down my neck. Right. And like, if you're Ethan Hawke, yeah, you're like, yeah. and I can cut a deal where I actually get a lot of money if the movie hits. But but also those people you just listed, like Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson in particular, feel like they're occupying more the Donald Pleasance space where it's yeah, just like, right, right rather than being like the young star Britain who pedigree. cuts their teeth in horror. Right, right. You're, you're bringing pedigree to it. Yeah. I feel like there are people on the indie level who have kind of Scream Queen status like that that I don't no that's the thing there's there's names in the right in the more like you know uh streaming what's her name from the guest and it follows um Uh, micah monroe Monroe. yeah micah monroe yeah yeah. she's yeah she's she's done her her horrors Mm -hmm. there there have to be people who have done like five glass eye picks movies that i don't realize within a niche (laughs) community are like viewed as legends you know yeah yeah they're in a lot of shutter originals maybe Right. It's hard to imagine someone having the the Jamie Lee Curtis arc, though. It's hard to imagine someone like having a horror movie that's that much based around them be that big of a hit and then go make like four more horror movies that are sold on them. Right. At least largely or partially. Yeah. You know, but also the thing is with Jamie Lee Curtis is like um, when Halloween comes out, it's like, holy shit, you know why aren't we making five of these a year? And so then everyone starts to make them so quickly because it's like, we got to get on this train. It's it's the hottest thing. And so she, absolutely, there are suddenly roles where it's like, yeah, come do prom night. You know, come, it, it was yeah. almost like Liam Neeson post Taken where they were like, yeah. we're writing a bunch of these scripts. Do you want to do all of them? Do you want to do, yeah, at least a few, right? Yeah. Can we just take a short Liam Neeson detour? Please, anytime, anytime. Always allowed on this show. I just feel like... He, like, had such an interesting career. And this is, I feel similarly about Tom Cruise. It's like they both hit a certain age and they were like, I will I will only do action films now. I will right. only be, like, insanely proficient at running, fighting, <laughs> like, spycraft. And I just don't... I mean, Liam does more, like, survivalist ones. But I'm just like, what is that switch? Griffin, please answer. <laughs> Yeah, I have my answers. I have my my theories. David, you can uh, uh, correct Ooh, yes. me if you disagree on this. Mm. Uh, War of the Worlds breaks Tom Cruise, right? And and the press hullabaloo around War of the Worlds, mm. the Katie Holmes thing, the couch jumping, whatever. Weirdly, like, that movie is his last, like, not his last colossal hit, but, like, his last colossal hit before there's a dry period. He goes into the weeds and does, like, Valkyrie and Lions for Lambs and is trying to do his sort of, like, Tony or Cruise stuff. And then when he comes back to Mission Impossible, it's like 
fuck, this is like the only stuff that works for me anymore. I need to just like stay Mm. here. And he has three directors he works with, right? He works with Christopher McQuarrie. He works with Joseph Kaczynski and he works with Doug Lyman. He works with those three people. Those are the three guys he has rapport with. Whereas before he used to totally be a director driven filmmaker, like he would seek out directors and then go like, what do you want to make? I'll give you my star presence. I'll add that to it. I'll give you the support. Yeah. So breaks up with his producing partner. And I think it's just a, a means of survival of like, how do I stay relevant as a movie star? What are the things I do well? What are the genres that are succeeding? I'm no longer capable of pushing a drama to $100 million. Like, he knows he couldn't make Jerry Maguire Mm -hmm. and have it be that level of hit today. And he doesn't want to make a movie that only makes $20 million. What a shame, though, isn't it? It's a shame. And I feel like... Damn. I yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. It feels like I would have predicted the same thing 10 years ago. But like, I feel like we're five years away from him being like, I can't run anymore. I resign. I become elder statesman. I, rene- I relinquish the title of Tom mm-hmm. Cruise and I go back to being an actor. <laughs> right. He could finally dip his toe in that again. I think it's also he just knows that he can't be accepted as a regular human being anymore. I do. Think which it's, is, which it's, is true. Yeah, I think that's why he makes action movies only now. He just he's not plausible as a regular human being after the Katie Holmes thing. Sure. People just don't buy it. And the closest he tried was Rock of Ages and that no one liked that. Doesn't work. Right. right. Like that's the right. We don't like that movie. Right. I mean, like you can I mean, people stick up for his performance in a row, but like, you know, it doesn't go over. And I think he's like, fine, just just action. OK, yeah. I enjoy Night and Day. Is that crazy? I don't know. No, I, I Night and Day it. has its fans. It. Yeah, it's yeah. fun. I'm going to kill myself and then her. I mean, come on. But that's like that was him trying to own because there was that whole period then where he was like, I'm going to do comedy. Like, I want to show that I have a sense of humor about myself Mm -hmm. because everyone thinks I'm so extreme. And there are all those stories about him, like meeting with Judd Apatow and Seth Rogen, setting comedies up with Ben Stiller. And then the only two things that come out that Mm -hmm. was announced. They were going to do a Hardy Men movie that was Ben Stiller and Tom Cruise as the adult Hardy boys. Yeah. Oh, And that was going to be like a big fucking action comedy. But then the only two things that come out of that are uh, Tropic Thunder, obviously. Excellent. uh, And Night and Day is like him trying to do a funny Tom Cruise movie. And I think like Tropic Thunder worked, but he's obviously doing such a like heightened disguised character thing in that. And then Night and Day, he's trying to be funny within his Tom Cruise persona and it didn't do well. I think he was like, mm. okay, it's not, people aren't buying me being charming guy anymore. But Liam Neeson, yes. Liam Neeson, I feel like that, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's obviously it's like those roles are always there for him. I, now, I have, post-taken. I have my answer, David. I have my thought. Okay, go ahead. Uh, Natasha Richardson dies. Well, yeah, I know that, but mm. th- it, that's so not not to d- diminish d- how horrible that was. And he talked about that post taken, where it's like, right, I yeah. just want to do these movies where it's like, you know, very simple, and I I know what's expected of me. But it has now been many years, and he has yes. occasionally dipped his toe. Like he did the Mark Felt movie. He has that great scene in Buster Scruggs. Like you know, he did Widows, which is sort of like a kind of like a high-end version of a, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 Liam Neeson yeah. action movie. Silence. Silence. He's fucking incredible. Si- Silence. It's a great performance. Obviously, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. he's only at the end, but right, you know, like, he's so. He's got he, snow he's crime di- moody movies, like Cold no, Pursuit. No, but that's, no, no, no. 
<laughs> yeah, but that's no Griff. That's the other shit. And he's like, yeah, obviously, the good he did shit. that movie Griff called what's it called? Like Made in Italy. That's like, uh, yes, yeah, him and Leslie uh, Manville. Sort of, it's like um, about a guy whose wife died. Like you know, right. there's uh, no, no, the one with Leslie Manville is called Fuck That Ordinary Love. That's a, oh, that's a cancer drama, right? That's that's the one that uh, what's his name? Brian Darcy directed, right? No, no, he did what? Made in Italy. He did Made in Italy. Okay, yeah, James Darcy. Okay. Is who you're oh, oh, okay. Right. James Darcy directed Made in Italy, which is him and his son. Yes, and that's like right. uh, getting over the loss of uh, your wife. Movie that's clearly about Natasha Richardson, right? right? You know, like, Aww. and so like he is dipping his toe back into it a little bit. Yes, and I can see yeah. a world where I thought this might happen with Silence, but I think that movie was a little too alienating for Oscar voters. But like, mm. right where he. He has some kind of commanding serious performance and gets his Oscar. I, I really thought mm. that was going to happen with Silence. Yeah. And even like seeing that movie. Now, yeah. he did mess it up a little bit by doing a press tour where he couldn't stop talking about how he wanted to beat up a black guy. Not the yeah, best press tour of all time. I will yeah, that say. that was pretty bad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I do feel like post that, everyone is sort of like, you know what? Why doesn't Liam just make movies where, right, he's... He's right. a snowplow driver and he has to get revenge or he's a grave digger and he has to get right. Like where it's just <laughs> it did feel like people were like, we don't want you to not work, but we want you to not try to get Oscars from us right now because we just need time. Like, sure. why don't, why don't you sure. go chill for a second? So right. we don't want to have to deal with you. <laughs> but, but it's also the time. The timeline is like he shoots taken like two years before it comes out in the states because it comes out everywhere else in the world a year earlier like it was like a leftover movie released uh super bowl weekend that had already played everywhere else in the world that fox had delayed like for over a year and then that movie comes out is this fucking like colossal hit out of nowhere and then truly i think it's a month or two later natasha richardson dies like those two Mm. events are so close together that this film that he had made two years earlier suddenly becomes like an american blockbuster then his wife dies and he said as much in interviews where he was just like i i just started working like i didn't want to be alone with my thoughts you know (laughs) how dare you do his voice when he's talking about his dead wife (laughs) i have to do a movie i need to work (laughs) <laughs> but but he just, I think, took every fucking script that was offered to him, you know? And yeah. it was a combination of him doing, like, all of these Euro thrillers, the best of which are the Jamie Collette Sarah ones, and also doing, like, shit like Clash of the Titans and uh, what's the other one I'm thinking of? Like, things where it's like, this is a, a team where it's like, can you give us some oh, yeah. prestige in our big action movie? Um, yeah. Anyway, I love Liam Neeson in... in uh this movie <laughs> he's great in this movie uh in conclusion i think Liam Neeson started not doing serious movies because he didn't want to deal with his emotions and everyone was offering him all these silly action movies and then he got addicted to being paid that much money to do i mean those which... movies. he must be so rich he must be so I, fucking rich I'm, and then when he's you know widows he's so good in widows but um yeah uh he'd yeah. be good he'd be good in the fog He'd be good in the fog. Uh, he'd be a great Captain Blake in a movie that was all about Captain Blake. Yeah, uh, that's how I want Captain Blake to sound. Uh, also, I just always uh, mention this. Uh, anytime Liam Neeson comes up a conversation, Liam Neeson, I believe, is the exact same age as my father. So anytime I watch a Liam Neeson action movie, I imagine my father doing the same scenes. <laughs> um, is, how old is uh, your dad and the? How old are they? Let's see. Liam Neeson is now... 
69 years old. Yep. Yep. Nice. Yep. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, my dad, my dad and Liam Neeson, both the naughtiest age. <laughs> that is crazy. That's that's the thing. Like, my dad should not be in action movies. I know that fundamentally. And then sure. I watch Liam Neeson and then I'm like, yeah, this guy's good. He's oh good. My God, I love have it. you ever met? Have you ever seen him in person? He is so tall. Yes. He's it's it, he's David. Really it's beyond him being tall. He's just w- one of the biggest people in the world. He looks like a tree, <laughs> like like not like a like a station. He looks like an ant or whatever. He kind no, of he's very... like a human Groot. He's yeah, like yeah, yeah. His right. his hands are the size of my entire chest. That's crazy. Can he just pick you up like this? Yeah. Boop. Yes, yes, he could with one hand. Nia, Nia, you're miming two hands. He could do it with one hand. He could just go like this. Like okay, I was a fucking bottle of soda. Just grabbing you by the crotch and holding you. No, no, like this. Like, like this. Okay, great. Like this. Yeah. Like an ice cream yeah. cone. Um. Yes. <laughs> so wait, David, can I ask you a question about the fog? Of course. Why? What? Do you, what's your favorite part? <laughs> <laughs> what my favorite part of the fog is? Yeah. Hmm. It's probably the well. I re- I mean, you're gonna laugh at me. But it's probably the end. I love the glowing cross. I love the weird yeah. build of them. You finally see them. See, like I also love the keep, which has a similar vibe to the fog. Uh, I glowing was red say. eye enemy. You know, weird. Synth-y Have you score. seen the keep? Near? I love glowing red eyes. I've never seen the keep. The keep. Uh, is... The keep is a more messy movie than this movie right. obviously but but the keep Ooh, and fog um, both have that vibe that i just find very intoxicating yes uh so mm. i i like all this my my favorite individual sequence that just i think about all the time is the sign uh, starting to leak water and bursting into flame and stuff just because mm, it yeah. doesn't make any damn sense and that kind of and it happens in the in the daylight and that kind of makes it all the creepier um because it's like what are the rules of this like the sign can change shape and like i found a a piece of gold and then it turned into a sign and then the sign started dripping and then it got dry again yeah it's it's super cool uh the fog i i just you know it's just good vibes from the fog just good (laughs) good noises good sounds good colors good vibes that's all i really need um much more than i need to be like truly scared out of my wits what what ben you reminded me because like uh, speaking of the rules of this like another thing that came to mind is the dead body getting up and walking and then trying to stab jamie lee curtis like and then he carves how does that work carves a three well he's got to tell him there's three to go i missed that yeah three okay three down three to go wow yeah yeah he's keeping count he's the official tally guy can, uh, a couple things I want to point out. Uh, Tom Atkins' character in this movie is named Nick Castle. Nick yes. Castle is one of Carpenter's big, big collaborators going back to Dark Star, but plays, is credited as playing the shape in yeah, Halloween. He's Michael Myers. He's, he's Michael, Michael Myers. Myers. He plays Michael Myers. Mm. Um, but he goes on to do a lot of things, including uh, he's one of these jack of all trades who's done like kind of everything in the industry. But he directs uh, Last Starfighter, my my favorite, yep. uh, but also co-writes uh, Escape from New York. Or he gets some credit on that. Yes, he, he, co- he co-writes that. Um Anyway, uh, uh, this also, Blake, for the little time he is visible on screen, is played by Rob Bottin, who is another uh, legend. 
um, a, a makeup legend, um, works with... Uh, he, he did he, all the Verhoeven movies, right? He did RoboCop yes. and Total Recall and all that, right? Yes. He becomes yeah. Rick Baker's apprentice uh, and lives with him and works on uh, King Kong and Star Wars with Botine. And then uh, this really gets him started and then the howling the next year like makes him a name guy but rob botine yes like mm. one of the best practical special effect guys ever tommy wallace is in it too which is who that's the guy who made halloween three like he he just lays late call it laziness or or just call it him being cute or whatever he just calls characters after his friends who no, he but just I, made movies with i have a i have a friend whose name i'm gonna put in every movie Really? Have you, have you put them in every film so far? Yeah, her name is Jane G. Wow. Well, no, so she missed out on, on Little Woods, but I have a Officer Minerath who's one of my friends. But Jane G is going to be in every... She's in Candyman, um, one-line role. Okay. <laughs> by a comedian named Tian Tran, who's fucking hilarious. Uh, so she's, yeah, she's your little, like, your little button that for people to notice or whatever. Yeah, she's my little boop. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Is this an exclusive scoop that Jane G will appear in the Marvels? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> wow. Huge. Wow. Okay. Huge yeah. new MCU Huge. character. Huge Damn. new MCU character. Yeah. The hierarchy of power is about to change. <laughs> Jane G, everyone. In the MCU. <laughs> Thanos, Galactus, Jane G. <laughs> Jane G trumps them all. One name <laughs> makes them shake in terror. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to... There's nothing else really in the notes that are did yeah. you like um the shots uh, of just fog rolling in david yes did you have a favorite of course I uh, do. shot of fog i love fog i love Listen, fog. that fog was quite thick i for what i'm from <laughs> i'm from england i'm from log foggy huh? london town oh boy yes uh, uh, uh you know i there's nothing i like the rain i, I like the the atmosphere of fog maybe that's why i love this movie you, so much wait, you're you like dampness? You like you like things wet? Is what you're trying to say? Are you a damp dude, David? Damn, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a damp. I'm <laughs> oh, a damp shit. damp dude. Damp dude, 2021. <laughs> help! Help! Okay. Uh, I gotta say, I really like the energy that Carpenter's bringing out in Ben. We've only recorded a couple of these so far, mm -hmm. but I I really feel like uh, Ben's Ben's he's empowered. His, he's empowered. Oh man, no! It he, feels good. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, Ben is like, I'm here. <laughs> He's like, hello. Well, to hey. be fair, uh, as we mentioned off like uh, on Nia's last episode, Ben was a volleyball. Right, <laughs> so ben was he, was, he wasn't swinging in as much right? by a volleyball, right? So this is a pretty stark contrast. But also, I'll say right. this: like, yeah. I I saw someone on the Reddit or something say like, oh, I miss the presence of Ben now that Ben isn't always on the show. Ben is. On the record, I would say 95% of Almost the time. Always. The thing very people don't understand about Ben is very often we'll finish a record and he'll go, that was going well. The guest was so good. I didn't feel like I needed to butt in. I didn't say anything. Like he's just right. sitting there silently. Well, so what are you trying to say, Ben? <laughs> okay. Well, hey, that was great. Well, now, now you're in trouble, and, Ben. Well, I am in, in a lot of trouble, but I'm going to try and talk myself out of it and say it's it's also because we'll have two guests on. And it's just like a lot of voices over sure. Zoom. And, you know, it's just like you want to like you don't want to interrupt the uh, the dance that well, you're, but it's you're also, seeing. Of course. But it's also like sometimes you're not that 
taken with the movie. That's what I was going to say. You're not that pumped up about it. Right. Like, well, we'll finish recording and Ben will go like, I was going to do a bit where I was going to say this about this dumb fucking movie, but I didn't even feel (laughs) like doing it, whatever. Whereas I feel like the shift in energy is Ben loves all of these movies. He's very excited about the fact that we're covering this filmmaker. Not only that, Ben is like doing research. Like Ben is like coming to the table with episode with like fucking (laughs) notes and books and shit. I got a fucking book. That is hilarious. Right, so he's like jumping in because he's got shit to say. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm so. I have text. I do. I have context because they're connoisseurs (laughs) and I can never live up to it. So. I got a dang book. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I should have brought a fucking book. I don't know half the things you guys are talking about, if I'm being honest. Well, we um, have... Look, we I'm have researchers. Together with context we have clues. researchers. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what is film? What is movie? <laughs> what is movie? <laughs> um, should we play the box office game, Griffin, as we wind down this episode because i know nia has to go pretty soon yes yes i feel so bad i genuinely was looking at the timing of your other episodes and it was they're all like 17 hours long and i was like oh no it's <laughs> like i saw one that was three and a half hours i was like what? nobody needs to do podcasts that are that long i look podcasts should all be 90 minutes long god i'm gonna get so dragged for that too <laughs> Nia, David is going to send you an edible arrangement for keeping this episode short. You have no idea. <laughs> he has a baby now. He has things to do. Yeah. I do have things to do. Yeah. She slept through the night last night. Oh, that's good. I hope I don't listen back to that being like, well, that was the only time that happened. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was, I was going to say th- this is I'm trying to get this timeline. Correct. Uh, the Fog remake and the Assault on Precinct 13 remake both come out the same year. Yeah. I guess Assault on Precinct 13 comes out first. Mm. Comes out in the, the winter Assault and Precinct this comes out in the fall. The Assault on Precinct 13 remake is totally solid. I like is, that movie. Yeah, yes. is entirely solid. It's written by... Uh, yeah, I remember yeah. liking it when I saw it. I mean, yeah. it's got a fucking great cast. Great uh, cast. Everyone in it is good yeah, it and overqualified. James DeMonaco wrote it, who did all the Purge movies. Uh, and oh, also God. wrote the the most terrifying of all American horror films, Jack. <laughs> did write Jack. <laughs> he wrote Francis Ford Coppola's Jack. No film scares me more than Jack. Um, that but, movie yeah. was right. That was sort of like it wasn't like a big hit or whatever, but everyone was was fine with that movie. It got fine reviews. Yeah, it was like right. a m- modest January performer. It got fine reviews. Everyone's good on it. Then the, the fucking fog like stunk up the joint, and people were sort of asking Carpenter because you have two in one year, like what's the deal with these remakes? And he'd be like, I just like show up and I wave and I say hi and then I walk away. Like, cause well, he, wait, I, I do oh. want that. There's that quote. That's so good. I mean, it, it is, you know, it's classic. Carpenter. I mean, yeah, you I, do it. Yeah. Unless it's a different one that you're thinking of. No, it's the one. So people were like, why aren't you more protective of these movies? Like right. if you're, if you're not showing up, if you're not invested, you went, well, there's an interesting thing that happens every time they ask if they can remake one of my movies. They call me up. They say, they they ask me, I say yes, and then I hold out my hand and a bunch of money just drops into it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's great. This is this is the one this is the line I have where they're like, Why are you why are you letting them remake Escape from New York again? Which I guess that still hasn't happened, but that keeps getting yeah. announced, right? Right. He says, I love it if they're gonna pay me money. If they pay me, it's wonderful. If they don't pay me, I don't care. I think it's unfair if they don't pay me. I think everyone should pay me. Why not? I'm an old guy now and I need money. <laughs> Send me money. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's like this take. 
Fog is the only one where I remember him being like, well, you know, the original film, I had such a limited budget and I wasn't happy with right. how it turned out. He was out. hopeful yeah. it could be improved on. Right. There's like right. a reason to remake this. And since then, he's just been like, pay me. Yeah. You know what's a shame? The Thing remake, or it wasn't a remake, technically, which they reveal at the end or whatever. This, that could have been really interesting because that's like really the best way to go into that. It's like, oh, let's just figure out yeah. what the fuck that dog was doing before and those Swedish people. Right. Like, that's cool. And then my recollection of it is like, despite the great cast and, you know, it just didn't kind of Good do cast. what it needed to do. But like, that could have been really great. Do you know the absurd thing about that movie? Uh, they were very adamant that they were like, this is going to be the movie to bring practical effects back. It's the thing. It's like the most famous practical effects movie ever right they shot the whole fucking movie with makeups and animatronics you can go on youtube you can see the tests they look unbelievable they shot it that whole way and then the studio went this looks corny and made him redo it with cgi that sucks because like you look at evil dead which is all all that shit's practical or like 95 percent of it's practical and the rest of it's like you know right and like that is why yeah. that i think that worked really well like anyway i could go on and on I, I, totally I just feel like I think they also like cut that movie down, but I feel like there is a a cut of that thing prequel that is good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I I, I don't doubt it. it yeah. At the very least, is visually impressive. Because uh, yeah, the tests that are out there are amazing. But it is interesting that people seem to kind of keep getting things fundamentally wrong when they remake Carpenter or sequelize it or whatever. I mean, like. Yeah. The the uh, David Gordon Green Halloween is like I feel like the first one that's like a hit and was well liked and uh, approved Pretty by much. horror fans. Um, and and that was the one where they got him more involved, where they sort he of scorn. He's I did the score. That's cool. Right. Consulted him. But I mean and, that, and also right, that right, right. That movie is such a loving. I don't think it's like completely successful, but it. Like, I don't either. It's so it's so obsessed with Halloween with you know, John Carpenter's Halloween and much less with the, you know, Halloween mythos and universe or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, Let's do the box office game, Griffin. Come on. Yes. Yes. No, that was all I wanted to say. That was the end of the things I wanted to say. And I just very quickly (laughs) wanted to say that John Carpenter appears at the beginning of this film and he looks pretty good. (laughs) We got that wrong in fucking trivia once and it will haunt me forever. Do you remember that, David? There was a video round that was director cameos in movies Mm -hmm. and we got that wrong. Did we say it was a different movie or did we just say it was a different movie? I think we said it was a different movie and I can't remember which one. Right. 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 Uh, Yeah. It will haunt me for fucking ever. I just want to correct my earlier quote. The exact quote is uh, what Carpenter does in these remakes. Well, I'm a producer, but I come in and say hello to everybody. Go home. I'm just a fucking bum, okay? <laughs> He's a bum. <laughs> oh, I can't wait till I have that. The f- number one, ironically, at, at the box office on February 1st, okay. 1980, is a slasher movie. Is a total uh, Halloween ripoff. I've never heard of it. Huh. Um, it's set at a boarding house. And there's a homicidal killer on the loose, huh? Stalking some some co- coeds. It, it just like sounds like a fucking any of these things. Oh, I've seen this. I know this movie. I know exactly what it is. Really? What is it, Nia? I've seen it. I've seen it. Wait, no. Then you would have. No, you would heard this movie. Um, I can't remember the name of it though. Um, um, uh, no, wait, no. You guys would have heard this movie. I'm thinking. I think I'm thinking of a Criterion movie, which obviously would not have made it any money. So, 
But it's at a boarding house. What, what movie is I can't remember what the one I'm thinking of was called. Well, are you talking about, what's it called, The Slumber Party Massacre? No. Nia? Am I thinking of Carnival of Lost Souls? No, oh, that's, not, okay. that's not a boring Well, episode. this yeah. movie is called The Silent Scream. Oh, yeah. Oh. I truly have never heard of that. Ooh. It was successful. A successful indie, you know, release, a successful Halloween ripoff. You should clarify it is not uh, the anti-abortion 1984 film, The Silent Scream, which is the first thing that pops up when you Google it. <laughs> no. That is... The first result that shows right. up, a uh, very upsetting poster. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, no, it is not that. It is not. Uh, it is just some, you know, I don't know. That's, wow. It's a, it's a slasher movie. Wow. Okay. That's number one at the box office. It's doing great. Number two at the box office is um, a very iconic movie of the year. We're going to have some good box office games, mm. Griffin, I'm realizing. Like, yeah. Um, uh it's uh I believe I think it's I think it's the first Hollywood studio movie to show like its star's penis. I'm almost What? Is it American Gigolo? American Gigolo? It's American Gigolo. Yeah. I don't think there's any movie that had shown peen, at least not like star peen. I, I mean definitely a landmark film then. in in on screen peen. Yeah. It's also just a great movie. Obviously just very you know, the Giorgio Armani suits and all that and like the you know, yeah. the the whole mood. Very uh, early 80s. Um, what's next? Uh, number three. It's the, no, it's the best picture winner, Griffin. Uh, number of, three, the best. 1979. Picture winner of 1979 is Kramer versus Kramer. Yeah. And the number one movie of 1979. Yeah. Just, it just will never movie. stop being astounding to think of that yep. movie doing endgame numbers. Uh, yes, it totally did. The number four is, okay, it's a star-driven movie. It's not a movie I've I mean, I've heard of it. I've never seen it. It's from a major director, but I feel like it's sort of a f- forgotten entry for these guys. Okay. Um, it's a sort of like comedy drama. Mm-hmm. It's a Western, like a modern Western. It's about like an old rodeo guy who is retired and is trying to figure out his life. <sighs> What? I've, uh, it's got, all right. It's, I'm going to tell you the stars. Two guys in okay. It's a uh, it's Robert Redford and Jane Fonda. Oh, uh, Electric Horseman. Electric Horseman. Uh, okay. Which is who directed by who Griffin? Sidney Pollock. Yes. Not a movie what? I've ever seen. No. Wow. It's, it's a great title. Yeah. Good title. Good stars. It was a hit. It made like sixty million bucks. Like it was not a nothing. But I feel like it's just sort of a. Uh, you know, n- not not well known for any of these three people, like as one of their better entries. I I got this trivia question wrong recently, which is what is the name of the most recent collaboration between Fonda and Redford? Oh, it's that um rom com, right? Exactly. But the question is, can you pull that title in a million years? No. No. Yeah. I knew exactly what movie it was. And I was like, I, I truly think you could give me one million years of concentrated effort. Yeah. And I would not remember the title of that film. I've also seen that movie. Me too. <laughs> oh, it's called Our Souls at Night. I never, never wow. would Love pull it. that. Obsessed. Never. Obsessed. Yeah. And I, was, I don't think I could pull I, that one. I got this wrong two weeks ago and I already forgot. Uh. Well, his last film ever, of course, Old is Man Avengers Gun, Endgame. Right? No, Avengers Endgame's his last credit ever. Yes, love It's Old film, Man and the yeah. Gun, After Our Souls at Night, and then him saying Hail Hydra. That's hilarious. Bless his heart. Because he was very purposeful about it being the Old Man and the Gun. Um, 
Yes. The Old Man of the Gun is like the total swan song movie. Yeah. 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 That's funny. And then, uh, and then, right, he just sort of pops in in Endgame being like, Whoa, what's that over there? I bail Hydra. Who's this Loki guy? Yeah. <laughs> That's like Lowry told us he had shot Endgame, but it was top secret and they were promoting Old Man of the Gun. And the only question anyone wanted to ask him was, so is this it, Bob? Are you retired? And like, they couldn't answer it. Yeah, right. That's right. Funny. They were like, well, you know. <laughs> like, That's so funny. <laughs> um, number five at the box office, Griffin, is a an action film um it's i think fairly early in this man's career okay uh he's an action star mm. but one of one of the sillier ones chuck norris it's chuck norris of course had to be yes um and i think it's like i it's maybe it's maybe his like second action movie you know where he's like the star delta force it's not delta mm. force okay it's not the Octagon. What a good title. It's not Silent Rage. Uh-huh. I'm trying to think of Chuck Norris movies. Uh, um, the, uh, the Enforcer? Is that what that movie's called? It's called... You're close. It's called A Force of One. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. And he is, I believe, the titular force of one. The tagline, he hears the silence, he hears the darkness. He's the only one who can stop the killing. David, how funny would it be if he wasn't the force of one? If you watched the movie. I can't believe we let him get away with his career for so long. But I mean, here, I believe the plot of The Force of One is that there's a serial killer and the police decide to recruit a karate champion to find the serial killer. <laughs> like, wow. it's where they're still trying to be like, so let's explain why this guy, like, kicks people. It's, it's the way Fast and Furious has to justify cars being <laughs> right. the necessary uh, right. tool for everything. Yeah. <laughs> Nia, Nia, to go off of what you said, we let uh, Chuck Norris get away with way too much. A lot, a lot. For, for far a, too I was long. Wa- watching Walker, Texas Ranger with my grandma. Yeah, we just, I don't know. We gave him oh, so much God. power. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So much power. Uh, <laughs> yeah, some other hits. We got Chapter 2, uh, the James Conn, Neil Simon movie. Oh, wow. We've got uh, The Jerk. Uh-huh. Nice. Uh, we've got The Fog, obviously, which opens number 10. And we've got Fatso. The um, Dom DeLuise movie, right? Yeah, and Bancroft's only film. And Bancroft directed it, uh, right? You jumped yes. over the fact The Fog opened at number 10? Yeah, but you know, that's how it is back then. But even this still. It's not an opening I weekend know it's a platform, like, but even still. No, but The Fog was a huge hit. It made $20 million on a $1 million budget. It was, it oh, was yeah. exactly the same vibe of Carpenter where it's just like, the man, you know, he profits. Like, it's all profit with this guy. Yeah, sure. Um, That's why he keeps getting to do stuff. And we'll never let him get a bigger budget ever. Um, right, exactly. Uh, but but I'm excited because uh, now now we start to get into the the satire a little bit, you know? What's your next one? Are you going in order? or? Yeah, we're going in order. It's Escape from New York next. Nice, yeah. yeah. I love the Kurt Russell Car- Carpenter yes. collaboration. Oh, it's the yeah. best. Yes. Like, it's great. I like that tongue in the they, cheek. They are perfect you know? for each other. Yes, yeah. right. right. And and Kurt Russell just has like the exact type of humor uh, that that really I think makes Carpenter's work sing. Um, yeah. Also, just I'm sure as we'll talk about for several weeks in a row now, an insane face. Kurt Russell, <laughs> like in, in terms face. of its beauty. Yeah, just young Kurt Russell. That face is just like, unbelievable. And you're like slap a beard on it. Incredible. Shave it's it even better. Yeah. Like it's like it's all good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He totally looks like his name could be Snake, too. <laughs> he does. Snake. Like, he, he, does. he wears that shit well. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but he's, he's one of those actors who looks like he was production designed. 
Yes. Big up his jaw especially. Yeah. Looks like it was production design. Like someone yeah. came in and built that with like hydraulic. <laughs> Um, uh, but yes, we'll talk about Kurt plenty, obviously, on this show. Yes. There's so much well. Kurt talk. Nia, thank you so much for carving out some time uh, to come back on the show. Thank you for having me again. Uh, you're the best. No, you're the best, Griffin. Please. Uh, <laughs> oh, guys. Jeez. No, you hang up. <laughs> no, Ben's the best. Ben's okay. the best. We can Ben's all agree. The best. We can all he agree. is the best. I am the best. Um, thank you. <laughs> Nia, is there anything you want to plug? Are you working on anything these days? But do you have anything coming up? Right. <laughs> um, please go see uh, Candyman when it comes out next month, but don't at me. In um, theaters. <laughs> in theater. It's exciting. Candyman is in theaters this weekend that this move this episode is dropping. It lines yes, up perfectly. It's coming Perfect. out this weekend. So go see it. So go see Candyman. Um, next November, yeah. please go see this Marvel movie. I'm sure you won't get any advertisements about it. Um, no, you're going to have to really hit the podcast hard to promote that. Right. Uh, I literally feel like I became a director so I could do podcasts. That's my career path. Come back anytime. Anytime. Please. Um, and I got to say, in addition to saying thank you for coming back on the show, Nia, thank you all for listening. Now I'm speaking hey. to the listener. Uh, and thank you to... Marie Barty for our social media. Thank you to uh, AJ McKeon, Alex Barron for our editing, Joe Bowen and Pat Reynolds for our artwork. You know what just happened? My brain just started farting and I started, I almost started thanking people from a different podcast because I've been listening to other podcasts too much. Oh, wow. What are you listening I to? Was, my brain was farting because I went to college with Marie Barty and I was like, what? <laughs> New member of the family. Uh, I've been listening to podcast, the ride and I almost, I almost shouted out the team at forever dog. Uh, uh, so oh, sure. thank you to Joe Cilio for helping to make other good podcasts that our podcasts have nothing to do with. Uh, thank you to JJ Birch for our research. Uh, yes. Lee Montgomery and the great American novel for our theme song. Go to blankies.riot.com for some real nerdy shit. And you can go to our Shopify page for some real nerdy merch. You go over to patreon.com slash blank check, blank check, special features. We'll have covered, uh, Elvis. And somebody's watching yep. me, which somebody's are important early yep. works of Carpenter. So if you want to hear those, uh, sign up for that. Just one tier, five bucks a month. Tune in next week for Escape from New York. Uh, all killer, no filler, this lineup. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and as always, Ben is fundamentally not afraid of fog. <laughs> no. He's the best, though. We love him. He's the best. Thanks, guys. Love you, too.